Uh, Nick said that the, uh, the game plan was to come out and kind of keep pace with the Dallas offense. Um, you know, how did you guys get away from that? Um, I didn't execute. Considering this is the first home game um, that he's played since that injury, for him to have the success that he had, how happy are you? Oh, very happy for Dak. I, I think you know any of us that, that had a chance to witness you know how much he puts into it, and, and um, you know he's just he's just a great leader you know, for our football team. We're getting better. Uh, we've got a lot of room to grow, and that's what's exciting. Week three capped with a victory by the Dallas Cowboys over the Philadelphia Eagles that beat Dallas. T-shirt that Nick Sirianni wore last week has quickly become beaten by Dallas, or words to that effect. 41-21, the final score. Christopher Sims is back. Good what morning, up? Chris. Wait, you, you all right there? You getting yourself situated? You know, those are all the things you're supposed to do before the show begins. Now he doesn't hear me. Oh, he's disconnected. Oh, there we go. Piece. I got it. Here we go. All right, Minor sorry. technical issues. I don't know right what Right out of said. dates. Yes. Tuesday morning. Bam. I said... I said um, uh, uh, some very profound things. You were saying good you. things about me, right? Like how much you missed me yesterday and damn works just not Absolutely. the same without you. And Absolutely. You're my best buddy that I've ever had. You complete me. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Positively. Okay. Actually, while we're on that topic, I got an email. Oh, today good. Here we go. Very interesting from a loyal viewer. Pete, Pete now is trying to get me to stop. And then he said, go. Pete, make up your mind before you tell me what to do. Stop, no, go. Stop, no, go. All right. Well, ha- well now Pete's telling me to save it for later. Oh, what a tease. Unintentionally. Oh, that means this English is something. Beat. They're going to have like. Save a- it for later. Yeah, that means it's going to be a total screw job on Chris Sims to make fun of him for sure. Right? That's what that's actually. Like. Actually, it 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 isn't. It kind of is. Hey, Pete. Let us do the show. Pete and I are having a conversation, folks. <laughs> Pete's telling me, do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. Save do it for it. later. <laughs> Wait, now you can actually go ahead and do it if you want to. Right. Like, he's talking to me like we're on the phone. Yeah. Pete, yeah. I'll do it later. <laughs> we'll do it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> All right. It is live, really by say. the way. Yeah. Oh, no. No, I, I'm glad that you fought back the impulse to do the full Bill O'Reilly meltdown, one of the all-time great meltdowns. Really if you're not is. familiar with it, where have you been for the last 20 years? While I won't even say while we're in commercial because we want you to enjoy the messages from our sponsors. After the show, check out the Bill O'Reilly meltdown. Do it live. Bill O'Reilly, do it live. Type that into YouTube. Pretty and you'll know good. What we're talking about. All right. What we're talking about now is the Cowboys. Yeah. After losing the first game of the season to the Buccaneers, they have now won two in a row. And, you know, I was a little concerned last night because I didn't do very well on my best bets last week, and I needed the Cowboys to win by four or more to salvage a victory in my three best bets because the other two teams I had picked, the Giants, thanks for nothing, (laughs) and the 49ers, thanks double for nothing, let me down. I saw the line moving in Philadelphia's direction last night. I saw it down to three and a half, and I'm thinking, am I missing something here? Yeah, right. I mean, what I had detected through two weeks are teams on two different levels, and I was very happy to see that instinct confirmed last night. The Cowboys and the Eagles are on two 
different levels, and it was on display for three hours last night, Chris. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Philadelphia has some things about their team you like, you admire, right? But, I mean, Brandon Graham got hurt last week. Their offense and defensive line are the things that we've talked about as being, like, the biggest positives. Brandon Graham hurt last week. Brandon Brooks, great right guard. He can't play. You know, Malata, he's he's out of the game uh, this past game. I know I butchered his last name. So Jordan Malata. Malata. Okay, I was close enough. Yes. Uh, so that, that took is away. His first name. Jordan. Jordan. Yes. yes, I got that part. But the the like to what you're saying, Mike. The Cowboys have an elite unit as as far as the NFL is concerned, and they play through that unit. And it puts pressure on other teams. You know, I know we discuss this a lot with good football teams. But, yes, when you have an offense that can kind of just beat you any way they want, oh, this drive we're going to run the ball and divvy up carries between two good running backs. And then the next drive we're going to get out here and spread the field and you can't match up with us across the field. I mean, that that's where they're. you're right. They, they, they are a really, really good team. I'm not going to say a great team, but a really good team because of that offensive unit. And then the defense just has to be, you know, formidable, middle of the pack, and they're going to be tough to beat with, with that type of offense. So I think that's the big thing with Dallas, and it's it's good to see. Man, they got it everything. Balance, weapons, a quarterback. Uh, they got it all on that side of the ball. So did you mean to say the defense doesn't have to be formidable? It can just be middle of the pack? Yeah, I, I was, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. It doesn't have to be – yeah, I, sorry if I was confusing there. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a top-10 defense. As long as they're, you know, around the middle of the pack of the NFL, they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, tough to beat on a weekly basis because their offense is going to be able to do, move the ball against about any defense we see in football. Think about last year. They were 6-10. and 10. Their defense was abysmal, and they lost Dak Prescott in week five. Right. So you don't need many things to fall differently to be better dramatically than you were in 2021. Prescott healthy and looking better than ever. Last yeah. night he completed 21 of 26 passes for 238 yards and three touchdowns, 143.3 passer rating. He acknowledges he's not played any better ever, and – that was key. The The running game was key again. Balance. I'm counting up the rushing attempts here, and there were plenty of them. I see nearly 40 with 26 passes. That's yeah. the way that they need to do it. That's the way the offense is going to work. Run it and pass it between Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. We had Dak Prescott run the ball nine times for only six yards, but still he's moving when he has to, which is good. That shows he's got faith in the ankle. And they're just getting it done, spreading the ball around to eight different receivers. Um, that's pretty impressive. 26 throws, 21 completions, caught by eight different guys. It is. He's moving the ball around. He's keeping the defense guessing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no favorites there, that's for sure. You know, I, you know, you know, they draw up probably plays more for C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a little bit like we talked about with Tom Brady to start the season. Same thing with Dak Prescott. He's not going to play favorites. He's not going to go, oh, man, I just want to throw to my guy because I trust him. He's going to go where the offense takes him, where the defense tells him to go within the offense. And I think that's where he is special. It's hard to really, like, on a big down, go, oh, 
you know, Dallas likes to do this and go to this guy here. Like Green Bay, we know they're going to look for Devontae Adams in a big moment, right? We know they're going to orchestrate some play or formation to put him in a spot where Rodgers feels comfortable and he's going to get him a play to do something. Dallas, you don't have that feel at all. You don't really know where it's going to go. You know if they play, if somebody plays man-to-man, they're going to take a shot down the field. And then, of course, if you play a lot of pass defense, they're showing the ability over the last two weeks – Kind of getting back to the old Cowboys where you're going, damn, they can move some people out of the way. You know, I think a lot of that that Philadelphia defensive front, we saw Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, what they can do last night. But they still opened up holes. And Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, uh, really good duo running backs. I mean, Zeke looks really good. Tony Pollard looks really good, too. Well, and we saw Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox create some havoc when it was 7 nothing early. After the interception down near the goal line, Hargrave busted through, got to Dak Prescott, and the ball got popped up in the air, and Fletcher Cox ended up with it. And, and that, that was the only moment the game felt in doubt. The suffocation began right. after that. It, it, and, and, you know, it felt like it was going to be – Cowboys easy win up until that kind of lightning strike that made it 7-7 but the Cowboys to their credit you know Dak didn't get down in the dumps he didn't get freaked out he didn't feel like it's not my night you could see on the sideline his demeanor was very confident he was fine let's just go back and keep doing our thing stuff happens I almost said the other word we just move forward and move forward they did let's hear from Dak Prescott after game talking about well I, just, uh, I thought that was going to be the the uh, interception or fumble recovery, whatever it was. I don't know how they ever scored that. It was could have been either. I assume it was a fumble recovery, even though it was plucked out of the air by Fletcher Cox. And uh, there's some of what Dak was able to do last yeah, night. Special. He really is moving fine, and he's throwing it well. And it's one of the reasons why they're two and one, Chris. Yeah, no, definitely. And you see a little everything here. Yeah, him moving out of the pocket. Here's a bootleg vertical passing game to the tight ends. And I don't know if he's totally – 100% running, right, like the Dak Prescott we saw before the injury, but everything else is 100%. I think that you know that's the big thing. And all you really want is, hey, Dak Prescott to be 100% in the pocket, to be able to make big-time throws, you know, not flinch with people around him. And that's why he's, you know, a top-10 quarterback, a great leader. You know, the things you heard Mike McCarthy say, he, he does not flinch in the pocket, and he's always got an aggressive frame of mind uh, to strike down the field, and that's what makes him a scary team. Let's hear from Prescott after the game talking about how he is protecting himself now when he runs the football. It was my reaction, I guess. I mean, over the last 11 months, I mean, just in preparing and getting myself ready for, for this game, that's the things that I've thought about of getting yards, getting back to the line, going down, just trying not to get a negative play, but knowing the whole risk versus reward. And um, even if I'd have broke some of those tackles or tried to, I don't know if the reward was that was worth it that much, right? I mean, Go back to when the play happened of when I got hurt, I was just trying to do too much and trying to impose my will. And I think there's a time and a place for that. And it just, there wasn't one tonight. And uh, I still think right there, he's been listening to you, you know, he knows when to hold them, one knows, knows when to fold them. It's not that complicated. No, I know. It really isn't. I know. And, and, and the best quarterbacks, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron, Aaron Rodgers knows where he can run and how he can get away with gaining extra yardage without getting hit. But that's got to be instinctive if you want to be available for as many games as possible. And when you have all those months where you're not playing football, where you're not doing the thing you love, you're going to do reflection, I assume, on what got you there. 
and how to avoid it in the future. That's what's right. so stunning about a guy like Carson Wentz. Right. He's had plenty of chances to reflect on how he's gotten into this predicament where he can't play football, but we haven't seen the awareness and the adjustment and the maturation. With Dak Prescott, we're seeing it. And if this guy can stay healthy, he's moving into that category where he's among the elite in the NFL, yep. and it's great to see him reestablish himself the way he has, and now we just see where it goes from here. Yeah, we see where it goes. I can't imagine it going anywhere but, you know, up, really, for the most part. I mean, I know they're not going to tear every defense up in football, but, uh, I mean, again, I, it just, you, you know, you look at them, you put them, you know, the Bucks, the Rams, you know, I'm probably missing a few other teams, but I just know that just right off the top of our head. Teams we've talked about where you go – Elite offenses, seems like they can do anything you want. You play too much man-to-man. You can't match up against all the guys across the board. You play too much zone. They have good enough systems to pick that apart. You know, you you, you want to play conservative and, oh, let's play umbrella defenses and not let them go deep and just do that. Oh, they can run it, you know, right between the tackles all game long. So, you know, that's where they're going to they're gonna force teams. And, and, you know, again, even last night, that's what they did a little bit. Their defense plays good, but their offense jumps out on you. And now Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, they want to they wanna play a little bit. Let's run. Let's ball control. Let's not get in a shootout with Dallas. That's not what we are. And then all of a sudden they're in a shootout with Dallas. And you're going, uh-oh, well, you know, Jalen Hurts dropping back and having to win the game with his right arm, I, that's not the formula that Philadelphia wants to use to win a football game right now. And then, the, you know, so the, the offense forces the Eagles out of a game plan and how they want to play. And now the defense can play a certain way because, hey, we got a lead. And, of course, the defense is probably the biggest surprise of this football team, right, this year, just the turnaround and what they've done so far, you know, through three games. I would say the biggest surprise is Ezekiel Elliott looking like well, Ezekiel Elliott all over again, too. even yeah. though he's smaller. He, you know, he, he's, he's lighter, he's moving better, he but is. he still packs a wallop he when does. he decides – that he's going to lower the shoulder into somebody. He had a couple of touchdowns last night. And if, if he can get going, he had nearly 100 rushing yards. He gets going. Pollard contributes. That That's how you cement the balance between passing the ball and running the ball and have that very diverse offense where they never know who's going to get the ball. They never know whether it's going to be a run or a pass. They're always kind of on their heels up against the ropes yeah. waiting for – that next drive that's going to end in three or seven points. Right. No, you're right. You know, and even with the running backs, you just you, you can't really, like, you know, pigeonhole either one of them there either to go like, oh, well, you know, here's Ezekiel Elliott. They're going to run between the tackles. Okay, yeah, maybe, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield and he can run the ball on the edge. You know, and then, oh, Tony Pollard's in. This is what they're going to do. No, they, they don't have to change the offense at all. They're a great complement to each other because Zeke is really, he is, like you said, he packs a wallop still. He makes nice moves like jump cuts and changes directions within the tackle box a lot to get a few extra yards. And then Tony Pollard, you know, he's like more of that slasher. Like, oh, there's a hole. I'm going to put my foot in the ground and I'm going through it a thousand miles per hour. I'm not going to pack a wallop or try to make too many people miss. I'm just going to go. And that that is uh, uh you know a dynamic duo. That's that's what you talk about having the perfect mix at that running back position. Gives a defense a different look. They don't know what to expect, but they don't have to change their offense. And that's when you know you've acquired a lot of talent on that side of the ball in, in a positive way. You may have noticed in the highlights that just rolled Dak Prescott that moment where it looked like on fourth and short he got into the end zone, and 
it ultimately was ruled on the field that he did not. And that's one of those situations where you're never going to have yeah. clear and obvious visual evidence to overturn whatever the ruling would have been on the field. Those guys on the side who come running in confidently like they know exactly <laughs> what they saw. They don't know what the hell they saw. They're just acting like it. And I can see as they're chugging in, you can see them running from behind. Yeah. Act like I know what I'm doing. Act like I know what I'm doing. Pretty much, pretty much, you know, rules to live by. Act like you know what you're doing. But that would be a prime opportunity for something that certain people who supposedly have influence in NFL circles like a Bill Belichick and others have lobbied for aggressively the digital component of the football, yeah, the microchip, the ability to know whether or not the ball crosses the plane. Now, with a play like that, you can't really tell when the knee's down either. That's the complication. But when you get in that scrum of bodies, what better way to detect whether or not the ball got across the line? And all it has to do is kiss the front end of the line to be a touchdown than to have some sort of digital component. But the NFL loves the low tech. They love the two chains with the, the 10 yards of metal links between them and <laughs> pulling that orange stick, the drum roll, please. Why not be accurate? And there's, there's got to be a way that they can embrace digital technology and avoid messes like last night where no one knew what the hell happened. It, and I agree with John Perry yeah. of ESPN, the former referee. Right. It looked like a touchdown. Right. But... There's no way in hell you're going to be able to overturn the ruling on the field. That's no. where I disagreed with him. And you're not just going to say, well, you know what? It looks like looks a touchdown, like it, so right. we're going to overturn the ruling on the field. No, you're they've, not. They've been told over and over and over again, clear and obvious, clear and obvious. And to their credit, they're applying it properly. Yeah. There was no clear and obvious evidence. No, no, you're right. There wasn't. You know, I, I, I don't know. I like The other thing that just pops up, like, first off, you're right, Mike. I mean, how, how the hell can, like, we not have that technology in this sport yet? It makes so much money. I mean, it makes more money than all the other sports combined in our country for the most part, and we don't have that. I mean, it can't be that complicated. We see tennis has it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's, there's just it's, – it's, you're right. It's got to be done. The other thing that just jumps out to me too, can they not move the sky cam like directly over the goal line too to just give an exact angle look there too? I just, I just wonder, or is there something that comes into play there in case it was a drop-back pass where the sky cam would be in the way? Uh, I, I don't know the answers. I should ask somebody at NBC who you know, well, does football games, but I wish we had a better angle there, too. We, 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 saw, we saw a football get hit by a penalty flag on Sunday, so I guess <laughs> yeah. you do want to make sure right. you've got that was some amazing. buffer yeah. between flying footballs. Remember, there was a night in Kansas City a few years ago when Derek Carr of the Raiders threw a ball that either did or didn't hit one of those wires, there was some controversy about that. Yeah. Bill Belichick has also lobbied aggressively for fixed cameras everywhere. And how expensive are cameras nowadays? I haven't been shopping for them recently, but yeah, there's my a general GoPro impression is everywhere. you can get them right. <laughs> very right. cheaply. And when you consider the fountain of cash that the NFL is generating, now more than ever... Yeah, a certain percentage of their gambling money should be earmarked for enhancing the accuracy of all officiating with a full embrace of digital technology, whatever it costs, because it can't cost all that much. Out of the $270 million in extra cash they reportedly will make this year from gambling affiliations and the $1 billion per year that they have said, the NFL has said they expect to earn by the end of the decade— Carve off some of that money, not just for 
improving the skills of your officials, maybe make them all full time. Those are different discussions. All yeah. I'm saying is get the hardware, right? Get the cameras, yeah. Get the stuff that get you can stuff. use to 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 make sure that that you're getting it right. Yeah. You know, I, I, how how many games have substandard replay angles because it's game number six on the CBS docket that day. Right. The Vikings. Bengals game week one there wasn't a clear shot of Dalvin Cook's butt on the ground before he fumbled even though it felt like that's what happened and yeah he was uh, in between a bunch of bodies and maybe there would have been a perfect angle but when you're one of the lower level games of the day you're not getting all the cameras the, the NFL needs to have all the cameras and they need to be in fixed stationary positions and just like in the pylon the Ezekiel Elliott play last night yeah. when he lunges for the goal line right. pylon camera perfect view right away, leg perfect. down before you know. the ball gets yeah. there that, that, that there's and that that's good but i think they can come up with more so we avoid any of these issues where we don't know what the hell happened yeah no i'm with you there man totally 100 percent. and you know like you said the biggest thing is just the integrity of the game i think that's the biggest thing you know of course yeah people People always have their conspiracy theories about football. I can't go to a barbecue or anything like that where people don't think, oh, the, this, this, some of these games got to be fixed. Or, uh, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Stop. So We've got some yeah. thoughts on officiating that we'll, we'll get to later that dovetails with that point perfectly because when you don't have transparency and a clear understanding of why things are done the way they are, it invites it the does. tinfoil hat it crowd. Does. All right. Yeah. Back to the game. Let's Back go. to the game. Uh how about the one negative last night and the thing that continues to threaten to derail the Cowboys at the worst possible time, Mike McCarthy's clock management. And there aren't many things that you have to do when you're a head coach on game day. Yeah, you got to give that fiery, inspiring speech in the locker room. Well, I don't know. That's not McCarthy. You have to manage the clock. You have to make decisions about whether to go for it on fourth down, whether to go for two. But managing the clock is a big part of it. Last night, late in the first half, the Eagles were backing up, and the Cowboys had two two timeouts, and the clock kept running. And I, as I understand it, Peyton Manning's head exploded on the Manning cast over McCarthy not calling a timeout. <laughs> so that they'd get the ball back and have a chance to score before halftime. Here's Mike McCarthy defending the failure to use timeouts when the Cowboys could have had a lot more time on the clock when they got the ball back at the end of the second quarter. At the end of the half, uh, you had a chance to call a timeout, but just kind of let the clock run. Yeah, that was clearly a decision. It was to take the lead. You know, going to halftime, I was comfortable based on where the ball was at. You had the lead no matter um, what, first off. The yeah, lead you had the lead no matter a, what. It was 20 to 7. You're still going to have the lead. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So they run their own 25-yard line think on about second this. and 31. Here's where it started. Yeah, right. Here we go. First and 10 on the 24. The Eagles 24 with 3.57 to play. They get a first down out to the 46 out on a couple plays. They get sacked and lose 11 yards. So right. it's second and 21 from the 35. And then it's second and 31 after a holding penalty. And that's when it became a full-blown cluster because the clock runs full 45 seconds. It's second and 31. It becomes third and 24. You're getting the ball back. Take the time out and, and, and have an opportunity. Instead, when it finally ended, they had the ball on their own 11 with 11 seconds left. They just took a knee. So that's just basic stuff. And I don't care whether you're up – 10 to 7, 20 to 7, 30 to 7. 
you got a chance to get the ball with a reasonable opportunity to get down the field and maybe get a free three points. You never know what's going to happen in the second half of games. You never know what's going to wake up the other team and they start scoring points. You deliver the death blow whenever you can. A hundred percent. That's really what it is more than anything. Listen, I can understand him maybe not taking the timeout right away after second and 31. Maybe just wanting to see like, hey, maybe they'll get a 20-yard, 25-yard gain here and, you know, change field position, okay? So maybe you play it safe there. I can understand that. But, you know, then the third down play after that, I, I don't understand it all. I don't. And I think that's the point, like, to what you're saying, Mike. I mean, hey, it's 20-7. to 7. Yeah, it's comfortable and all that. But, I mean, it's the NFL. Philadelphia gets the ball to start the second half. You know, it, it can be 20-14 to 14 and you're in a dogfight. And two, you know, and, and one more drive, you know, and like like we've already discussed, you're you're gonna put your best unit of your football team out there one more time, and they've had success the whole first half. Just drove up and down the field. Only time they were stopped was at the one inch line where they didn't get in the end zone. Well, why wouldn't you do it right there? That that I don't get either. And and to me, that's not playing to the strength of their football team. You know, again, I think the great offensive teams right there, the Bucks, the Rams, you know, again, I know there's other ones out there, but they would have gone, Kansas City Chiefs, right, and gone, let's go pedal to the metal. We can end this thing right here and really force them into a game that they don't want to play in the second half. But now because it's 20-7, to 7, you start the second half, and Philadelphia doesn't feel like they got to change a whole lot. Hey, we could do this, we could do that. You know, we can still just run our offense. We don't have to get into, like, shotgun throw it yet. Now, it worked out because they throw the pick six, Jalen Hurts, to, to uh, Diggs. But still, I'm with you there, and that could be the difference in big games, playoff games, whatever it is. We just see it too much out of McCarthy and Dallas over these two years. Is it possible, this just occurred to me, is it possible that McCarthy deliberately bungled the clock management on defense so he wouldn't be in a position where he could bungle the clock management on offense with a failed two-minute drill like the bungling of the clock management at the end of the Chargers game. You never get in a position where you're getting called out for not managing the clock properly when you have the ball if you fail to manage the clock properly when you don't have the ball and you claim it was all strategic and deliberate. Boom roasted. I think we've cracked the code on what <laughs> made Mike crazy. McCarthy tick. <laughs> but really, I mean, Look. think about it. You wonder what's going through his head at the time. Because if nothing else, if nothing else, you give your offense an opportunity in the third game of the season when you had limited preseason reps. You're trying to play for January. This is an opportunity to put your offense on the field and get some work in a two-minute drill. Sure. Take advantage of it. Yes. Take advantage of it. And I know, well, we don't want to have these extra reps. We may get guys injured. No, this is a live game. And you're trying to score as many points as you can. That's the objective. And you have an opportunity to get the ball back. And show what you can do and iron out some kinks in your offense and give some looks that maybe people are going to have to deal with if you're facing them later in the year. And, oh, when they went in the two-minute warning or the two-minute drill against the Eagles, they did this, this, and this. Well, well now we'll do something else. So I, it's, just, it's a missed opportunity on multiple fronts yes. by the Cowboys last night to, to, to handle it the way they handled it. A hundred percent. And how many games do we see every week where the team doesn't do, deal the death blow and you're going, man, they've dominated the game. Oh, but they're only up a score or only up two scores. I mean, hey, the Giants and the Falcons this weekend. I mean, they annihilated the Falcons. 
in the first half. You know, don't take opportunities or they lose a game. Hey, how about Carolina on Thursday night? They were dominating that game. And there we were late in the third quarter. They didn't take advantage of some opportunities, and it was a one-score game. I mean, they were kicking the crap out of the Houston Texans. There's a handful of games like that every week. So that's where you just, to me, you can't play around. And especially when, I, you know, just all the signals and signs go, our offense is rolling. We got an elite quarterback. We got an elite receivers, running back, pass protection. We've moved the ball at will. My quarterback sees the field perfectly almost every play. I mean, no dicey decisions to, up to that point to go, well, we got a little lucky or, you know, Dak's a little off, so I'd rather not take a chance. Right? No, there was nothing there. And uh, hopefully Mike McCarthy and Dallas can learn from that because, you know, you had a chance, yeah, to kind of end the game right there or certainly put Philadelphia in a really, really tough spot to have to come out in the second half and play a certain style of football that they're not made to play. Now, the good news for Cowboys fans, and I know we're going to hear from Vince because Vince was already emailing me yesterday about how when the Cowboys win, you're not going to give them the props that they're due, and he's going to be mad because we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about McCarthy's clock managers. But you know what? When you have a pretty good team, you want to focus on the flaws because the flaws are what need to get ironed out, and those are the things that can become fatal flaws at the worst possible time. Flip it over to the Eagles. There really isn't much good to talk about from what we saw last night. And for as good as Dak Prescott was, Chris, Jalen Hurts is a work in progress. This is only, what, his seventh game as a starter? Yeah. It showed last night. Let's hear a little bit from Jalen Hurts on one of his problems last night, inaccuracy, throwing the ball deep. You had mentioned this summer that for the, the deep balls, you would rather be long than short. We've seen a, a couple instances, including tonight, where it came up short. What's, what's, what are happening on those plays? I missed it. I didn't throw it far enough. Um, I didn't. I didn't do my job. I'll say that that's. It's probably going to be my answer to to all of these questions. Um, I, I didn't do my job. I didn't do my job, and we didn't win the game. When I do my job, we win the game. I didn't do my job. What's your process like in a game after after a game like this? What do you do? You know, you flush it. You got to flush it. You know, you flush it. He, he, hey, I, I think that he was even more graphic after that. I think we clipped it before he. That's good. He, yeah. It, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> if right. you know what I mean. Right. He pulled the Chris Sims and just kind of kept elaborating. Hey, he was off target. And to me, the the, the most glaring thing wasn't coming up short on the deep balls. How about that play where he had Dallas Goddard wide-ass open, as Bruce Arians would say. Right. Now, Goddard maybe should have caught it because it, it hit his glove, but it was it was a throw that was off target. Goddard would have run for a th another 30 yards with yeah. that ball. Yeah, maybe it was a, a perfect opportunity. Right. Yeah, um, and uh, just missed him. And and they, they tried to throw him a bone and say he was under pressure. He wasn't under inordinate pressure. He wasn't being dragged down to the ground like Eli Manning in Super Bowl 42. He, he, yeah, he got normal pressure. He just missed him. No, oh, yeah. It, it, hey, it is. It's a work in progress. There's no doubt about it. You know, and, and uh, again, that's going to be the big thing with Jalen Hurts as we go forward. We know he's a good athlete. I know he's a cool customer, a good leader, has all those things that you want as far as a franchise quarterback. But like we talk about all the time, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to make throws in the pocket in the NFL. 
Well, you know, again, it goes. You can go back to Lamar Jackson, his greatest runner we've ever seen at the quarterback position, other than Michael Vick. He's still got to make throws in the pocket to win games. He can't run around and just make it happen with his legs. So, yeah, and that's the big question about Jalen Hurts. You know, accuracy. It's a slow de- delivery. You know, yeah, to miss that go ball on the right sideline, the interception, the first one. I mean, hey, that was not underthrown. That was grossly underthrown, like 10, 12 yards underthrown. You know, this ball should be in the back of the end zone, touchdown. But he doesn't, uh, you know, I, I don't know. He just tries to be too careful with it, which I don't understand. And, then, you know, the other aspect of it, too, is, you know, and of course here, not, you know, not good pass protection. And now they got forced into a game they don't really want to play. But there, you know, tar- you know, the, staring down the target like Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick talked about. Then added to a very slow and deliberate delivery, you know, yeah, it's less than. And what people don't understand, too, and I know Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick tried to explain this a little last night, and, and, and this has always been my concerns with Jalen Hurts. Yes, yeah, we see the, in, the inaccurate throws and everything like that, but we also, like, if you watched film, you'd go, man, th- there's a few plays every game where you go, he left the pocket and ran and got six yards, and that was cool. But what was a lot cooler was there was a guy down the middle for a 50-yard gain, or there was a guy screaming across the middle on an in-cut for a 25-yard gain. And, you know, everyone goes, well, look at him. He's a, a double-threat running back. And I want to go, well, I mean, he's missing, leaving yards on the field. And that's going to be the big question. And, I, and that's why I think Philadelphia is totally still in the evaluation stage because they've seen these issues and they they know there's there's some issues with his throwing and we'll see how it goes going forward. Yeah, the best running quarterbacks in my view run when they have no exactly. other choice. Right. And when they know that whatever they can gain with their legs is more yeah. than what they would gain by throwing the ball. And if you're running and gaining 10 when you could have found a guy that had gained 20, that's a bad decision by the quarterback and speaking of running now on the surface the Eagles had 12 rushing attempts last night the problem is Jalen Hurts had nine of them the running backs for the Philadelphia Eagles had only three and uh, Nick Sirianni was asked about that after the game specifically Miles Sanders got two carries oh we don't have the sot the thing in the document that says lead to the sot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> doesn't say we Pete's don't Pete's all have over it. the place today. All over the place. to it. <laughs> Pete, the, the, the right Oh, he's got it now, Mike. Are, Mike, do it now. Don't do I it. Do it now. Don't do it. filibustered long enough. We're going to do it live. Pete is going to flush this show, possibly <laughs> during the show. Here's Nick Sirianni on Miles Sanders having only two carries. Well, the the first half, just with, a, just with how that went, without getting a lot of plays... It kind of put it, those runs, those, those numbers get skewed sometimes. I mean, I know they are what they are, but when you don't have that many plays in the first half, whether you're, you, because you have penalties that stop drives, um, you know, the defense was on the field quite a bit. Um, and then you're in a, and then you're in a position in the second half where, you know, we're down two scores the whole time. That's where, that's where that kind of, that, that kind of comes into play. I know we were trying to get him to ball on some screens and stuff like that, but uh, obviously we want, he's a good playmaker and we want him to touch the ball more. Uh, just the way the game went, we weren't, we weren't able to do that. And look, I get that. I understand that you get thrown off your mark all the time. Right. And the game unfolds in a way if you're in the middle of the fray a lot more quickly than it does if you're watching it, right? Yes. You, you don't know 
what it's like until you're down there and it's happening and we got to make decisions and what's working, what's not working. Holy crap. Look at the score. I, I, I understand it. I get it. But, but man, when you got a guy like Miles Sanders who did well when he had the ball in hindsight, it does create some questions about why, you know, just kind of, kind of settle things down, kind of establish control, have a long drive, give the defense a rest just it, a lot of the football cliches we've heard about for years went out the window. There was just kind of a desperation that came into the Philadelphia offense. It's almost like they decided they were going to try to match the Cowboys blow for blow. Like, look at what you're doing with Dak Prescott. We're going to do it with Jalen Hurts. But the Cowboys were still using their running backs as well. So yeah. I, 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 look, Nick Sirianni's early in his career, too. It's only his third game. I want to cut him some slack, but. Hey, they considered experienced guys, inexperienced guys. This was their best guy, and this is a a team that's going to be held to a high standard, and he's going to be held to a high standard. And it just it it goes to the territory at this point. If you're only going to use Miles Sanders two times on running attempts, you're going to get called out for it, and uh, no effort to make excuses for it is going to make sense. Yeah, no, yes, you know, I, I hey, the first half was tough, right? I mean, they got dominated the first half, and then your defense scored a touchdown, so they weren't on the field a whole lot. They weren't. It goes back to, I think, a little bit, Mike, like we talked about. The greatness of the Dallas offense forced Philadelphia to play a little bit of a different game because they're going, wait, okay, well, I don't know. We're not going to be able to run the ball. You know, we got to keep pace a little bit here. Dallas is moving the ball up and down the field. The other aspect of this, too, that we can't forget, and, you know, again, Dallas watched film of the game against the Eagles 49ers the week before. They saw that Jalen Hurts didn't. He threw the ball like crap in that game, too, like crap. I mean, he was 12 for 23, and a guy fell down, and he got a 90-yard completion on one of the plays or on a double move on just a, you know, a go route off the right side. That was, was all they had. So defenses are playing. run. They're inviting the pass from Philadelphia right now. They're going, go, throw it. Your offensive line is overpowering. You know, we're worried about Jalen Hurts running the ball in Miles Sanders, but we're not that worried about you dicing us up in the pass game. So that's another thing that's going to play into this as we go forward, too. They're going to see a lot of run defenses and heavy boxes until he kind of shows, like, hey, you can, he can consistently move the ball in the pass game. So it's something to watch going forward with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense. I wonder, because I'm under the impression they're going to give Jalen Hurts the full season to see what his ceiling is. Yeah. Tempted to, well, like here's one ah, thing. Screw it. I, let me let me just say, say it. it. I, I was I was I was trying to measure my words. Pete thinks I'm going Minshew mania. I'm not going Minshew mania. I'm going Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Do they get back into Deshaun Watson? When you consider Jay Glazer reported over the weekend, the Texans have softened their stance in recent days on what they want for Watson. That the Dolphins have Tua Tagovailoa on. IR they put him on IR Saturday with that rib thing I think they were maybe not being completely candid what a shock an NFL team not being completely candid I think they weren't being completely candid all week long they get to Saturday they put him on IR I think they have to be considering making the move before the window closes on November 2 from the Eagles standpoint aware of the possibility the Dolphins are going to do a deadline deal and cognizant of what Hurts is and isn't doing Maybe at some weird level, this is an organizational effort to kind of put the Hertz ceiling floor analysis in an accelerator 
So we know by the end of October what we have. Instead of knowing by the end of December and into January what we have, let's go ahead and see where he is. Let's throw stuff at him. Let's see how he responds so we can make an assessment by November 2. And if we decide to pull the trigger, boom, we go get Deshaun Watson. I just... You have to at least be thinking about that. Sure. Right? Yeah. No, I, I'm, you don't I'm know you. where his ceiling is. Right. You don't, you're kind of seeing where the floor is. Right. But you want to hit pedal to the metal so you have the best information by late October so you can make a decision on whether to make a play for Watson now or later, knowing that if you don't, the Dolphins may, and then it's done. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a good thought by you. I, I think there's some, some reality to that for sure. I do. And, and, and you and I both know that Philadelphia is in that mix for the Deshaun Watson thing. That's a real thing. You know, from everything I know, the owner has given them the green light as far as Howie Roseman and company to make that deal if it's right. So, yes, and what you have to worry about a little, and here's just one other inkling. Another inkling, at least, that always told me they're not totally sold on Jalen Hurts. I mean, we went through training camp. Joe Flacco's 76 years old in the NFL as far as that's concerned. You know, he's been around forever, all right? They didn't name Jalen Hurts the starter until like eight days before the first game or nine days before the first game. That says a little something to me, a guy that watches football and you and I pay attention all the time, right? I mean, it was kind of like, well, duh, yeah, we thought he was a starter, but they didn't want to name him that right away. There's something there to that. But, you know, to the trade stuff too, yeah, you're right. Get a great feel for what the guy really is. Do we have something you know, what is he exactly so you know the worth or what you know what your future wants to go. But the thing that I think they'll have to look out for, too, you know, to the Miami point that you make, Mike, as well, is if Miami kind of falls out of this thing here, right, one and two, and they start to lose games, I think that makes them more available to make the trade and go, wait, abandon ship for this year. The hell with it. It's over. We're not where we want to be. We're not going to win the Super Bowl. Okay, maybe we sneak in the playoffs, but we're not a real threat. I think that makes them more dangerous to go to get Deshaun Watson. Because, you know, yeah, you know, might, yeah. might not get him this year. You're going to get him next year probably as far as, like, his ability to play. But I think that's something to watch out for, too, if you, if you are Philly and looking at Watson. I think you're right. And the other thing to keep in mind, that no trade clause, because Watson wants Miami. And there have been some conflicting reports on whether or not he has said no to Philadelphia. I think that if Philadelphia is the only option, he'll say yes. Yeah, right. Agreed. We'll, Agreed. we'll see. But yeah. we've, got, we've got about five weeks. Actually, five weeks from today is when the trade deadline ends for the National Football League. Now, there was another intriguing development last night as it relates to the Beat Dallas shirt that Nick Sirianni so famously wore to his press conference last week. There it is, the Beat Dallas shirt, and now it is Beat by Dallas. That is what's available. And I really want to see Jerry Jones in that T-shirt. I don't think I've ever seen Jerry Jones in just a T-shirt. No, I don't think I have I want Jerry Jones in the Beat by Dallas T-shirt. That is the way to get it done. And our good friend Vince challenged me, challenged me to give some attention to the fact that the Eagles did the beat Dallas shirt and it blew up in their faces and and it did I don't have any problem with it on the front end I don't have any problem with the trolling on the back and we see that all the time now it's so funny the social media trolling is so short term it's like the life of a fruit fly they forget that they're going to play him again whether it's later this year 
for the Cowboys and the Eagles, or like in college, hey, you know, don't go too crazy with your social media team celebrating that victory because you play again next year. Yeah, right. They don't care. And that's just the kind of the way it's become. We're going to go do our victory lap, and we're going to run as fast as we can, and we're going to forget about it, and we're going to forget the fact that we ever play that team again. So, yes, the Cowboys and Eagles will get together again. But for now, it's beat by Dallas. All right, let's take a break. The Bears, beaten by the Browns and maybe beaten by a lot more teams, have quarterback issues. Matt Nagy is keeping us all guessing on who the starting quarterback will be again. We'll discuss that next year on PFT Live. If Andy can't go, is Nick under consideration or is it just Andy and Justin? No, no, they're all, they're all three under consideration right now, you know, in regards to where, where they're at. So we'll just have to kind of see Hub uh, the next couple of days where they're all at. Um, we know where Nick's at health-wise, but we just want to keep an eye on, on Justin and Andy. And then for us to, uh, to, to stay on that and, and make sure that, uh, that we have a plan for any of those. Plan is there ain't no plan for the Chicago Bears, and I know strategically it'll keep the Lions guessing. The Lions oh guessing, Mike. They're gonna guess what they're gonna do because I know I I'm sure it's gonna be a totally different offense for what quarterbacks playing. Totally different. I mean, look at the difference between Andy Dalton and Justin Field offense. Man, good thing they didn't you know throw him out there and 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 you know whoa man Cleveland couldn't prepare for all that that was tough whoa game planning purposes we don't want to tell you what we're going to do with Justin Fields oh we're going to do exactly what we always do crappy offense oh that's right okay sorry I couldn't help it (laughs) setting aside the failures of execution how much do you think that the the reluctance, the conscious decision by the Bears to not embrace a full Justin Fields offense, assuming they even have one ready to go, how much of that flows from the fact that it puts a lot of strain on the other players to basically have to know two playbooks? It, it, Is that Does that factor in at all? I, I don't think it does. No, I don't. You know, you, as an NFL player, you get new plays every week. And it's not that you have to reinvent the offense just to put Justin Fields in there. You know, again... You know, just think about it this way, Mike. You, you put in five quarterback design runs, right? Five quarterback design runs. You practice them all week, right? You know, you may, maybe you only run those five runs. But after, off of that, you got, you know, f- five play action passes or, or little passes that are off of that. And you can grow, like, grow little other intricate, intricate plays off of those quarterback design runs. And make your offense dangerous that way, but yes, no, it's not. That's not a big issue. That that shouldn't be an issue or to why there's a you know a hold back in plays or anything. I think it's more to like what you first said. I don't I don't know if there is a plan or an offense of Justin Fields yet at all, which I just can't get over. They were so determined to keep Justin Fields on ice all year long, and maybe when we look at the struggles of the other rookie quarterbacks, that puts it in context. The problem is. If your starter gets injured and if you decide to go forward with Justin Fields, you got to have something. You got to make something work. And the problem is, and and look, I understand the games coaches play to keep their cards close to the vest and they don't want to say too much. I get that. But the problem is you get a lot of confused people asking what in the hell's going on here. Yeah. Why is Justin Fields mobility not being used? Why are people like Miles Garrett saying after the game, 
We thought he was going to move around more. Yeah, right. We thought he was going to move around more. He's right back there on his spot. We could go get him, and they went and got him nine times, Chris. The most sacks by a quarterback in his first start since Greg McElroy in 2012, who was sacked 11 times when he was with the Jets. So... It did whatever it was. It didn't work. No, it didn't work. And and like you know, you and I talked about this a lot leading up to it. Like, hey, Justin Fields is one of the most talented guys they have on their offense. He's the one that can change a defensive game plan a little bit to go. Whoa, wait, we don't want to do this because they might run this quarterback design run or move him. You know, something of that nature. And I haven't watched this film yet here. You know, again, but you see, I mean, it's shotgun. It's all the normal Chicago stuff you're talking about. And it's, it's, you know, Justin Field, yeah, he's young. He's not going to make the quickest decisions in the world in the pocket right now. So he's learning that stuff. And the fact that you don't have a plan like that to kind of slow down, you know, one of the strengths of Cleveland, which is, you know, that pass rush and some of those freaky guys they have on there, that was the greatest thing they had going for them. I mean, again, it didn't have to be, here we got four or five quarterback design runs. You don't have to run them 20 times. You just run them a few times. But now they have to think about it. All right, so Miles Garrett's coming off the ball. Wait, is he running? Oh, wait, now I can get in my pass rush. Okay, he's not. Saves you an extra second, second and a half to maybe do something down the field. You know, run the ball, bootleg, you know, all of that. You can do a bunch of plays off of that once you get that going a little bit. There just was no creativity. It was just the same offense you always see. And, and again, like I said, I didn't watch the film yet. I will, I'll hopefully do that today and, and really be able to give you more answers. But watched it closely enough on TV to go, there was nothing impressive, no specific game plan to me that jumped out to say, oh, wow, they, they got a few things in here to make Justin Fields feel comfortable and play to his strengths. And it was a help the football team. Not at all. Uh, just absolute pitiful offensive game plan and performance by the Bears offense. One net yard passing for the Bears. The lowest total by any team since 2009. Do you know, do you know who that team was in 2009 that had one net passing yard? And do you know what game it was? Mm. 2009. You should. I should. I should know, huh? You should. Go ahead. Tell me. So it must be a game. 59 nothing. Does that ring a bell? The Patriots-Titans game in the snow up there? Yeah. 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 Jeez. Yes, I do remember that. Were you on on the team then? I actually was on Denver that year. I was on on Uh, opposite. I was there in 08 and then 10. So I I missed that year in Tennessee. But I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, what a disaster. How does that Titans team get beat like that? Yeah. Yeah, um, that was a bad one. That, and that was a year after. That was when they were in the full-blown curse of the terrible towel after they after yeah. they desecrated the terrible right. towel. That was part of it. That Because they were the number one seed the year before, and they could yeah. be 59 nothing by the Patriots in the snow. All right, true or false rookie quarterback edition. And, by the way, the rookie quarterbacks this year so far in 11 starts are 1-10. and 10. The only win was Mac Jones, the Patriots rookie, beating another rookie, Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson. So true or false, Bears fans owe Mitchell Trubisky an apology after seeing Justin Fields try to run the Matt Nagy offense. True or false? Uh, true. Of course it's true. Mike, you know I've been saying this for two and a half years, that he, he, was, he was making chicken salad out of chicken what? And you know what? A whole lot. I mean, geez, in the preseason. Feed? Chicken he lo- feed? Yeah, chicken feed, right. right. Flesh? 
I mean, breast. Come on, leg. I mean, yes, disaster. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky was much better than the Bears fans ever gave them credit for. And of course, I feel like the Bears coaches kind of never really stuck up for Mitch Trubisky either. They kind of let it just, hey, yep, yeah, it's him, that guy. Look, uh, put it all the blame on him. And you know me, from the start of the Mitchell Trubisky era there with Matt Nagy, there was already excuses being made by the, the Bears coaching staff. So, yes, you all almost uh, an apology, Chicago. All of you, send I'm the letters an, to Buffalo. I'm getting an alert here. Important, <laughs> important update coming in. New Simsism. Stuck up. <laughs> Stuck up. I think you said stuck up. <laughs> I think I did too. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, baby. Stuck up. Yeah, that stuck is up. like a baby. That's like something a three-year-old says. I stuck up for <laughs> him, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go on to the next one. True or false, Zach Wilson starting for the Jets is doing more harm than good for his development. Chris, what say you? True or false? Well, I, I think it's – no, I'm going to say false there. I think this is all positives. Again, I'm more don't – let's – not write, you know, the future of the player here after two or three games. Again, it's a crap team there in the New York, the Jets. They're, they're finding their way. They're killed by injuries. You know, they're not a great running team. They have no weapon on the outside that makes you go, oh, my gosh, watch out if we don't double that guy, Zach Wilson. And so there's nothing there to think that they're just going to turn this around and, you know, it's going to be an air show and he's going to carve people up. No, it's good he's getting this experience. It's going to pay off next year when they add a few more players to the team and they are healthy. So, you know, again, it, it's tough sledding. We've seen a few weeks in a row, though, pass protection issues just like you see here. You know, their their scheme and protection has been exposed a few times. And then, of course, Zach Wilson's compounded some of these things with, with rookie mistakes. So, uh, I, no, I still think it's all positive. You're best being out there playing and, and taking your lumps and learning on the fly. What about the Joe Burrow factor? I know that yes. was a real concern for us last year. Is it a concern for you with Zach Wilson that he's going to get himself hurt out there? I, that it is. That's the biggest concern I would have, right, Mike? Yeah, you're right. We talked about that a lot. Like I, that's where I look at like Robert Sala and Joe Douglas a little, and like at some point, you know, you might have to go like, okay, you know, hey, this game's over. It's twenty six nothing. What's the point of us dropping back twelve more times? and putting our quarterback out there to get killed when Von Miller and company know we're going to drop back and pass the ball. That's where they might have to swallow their pride a little bit from time to time and just go, okay, you know, not throwing the white towel out there or waving the white flag, whatever, but, but we're kind of are. We're just kind of saying, hey, we lost. That's good, but we got to think about the future, the bigger picture, and I hope they can see that. Four, uh, 15 sacks so far for Zach Wilson, the fourth most ever for a first-year player in the Super Bowl era at this stage. David Carr had 19, Archie Manning had 18, Kyler Murray had 16. All right, next one, a guy that we were concerned about from a health standpoint in that preseason game against the Saints because he ran the ball and his leg was planted and he almost had his leg blown up by a Saints defensive back, Trevor Lawrence. His rookie mistakes are concerning for his long-term career True or false? Yeah, I'm going false there, too. You know, again, like, like I'll say with Zach Wilson, I like the look of Trevor Wilson and Zach, Zach Wilson. They look like they belong. Not every decision's going to be perfect. No. You know, and again, we talked about Trevor Lawrence. He, he's getting used to the pro game. But, man, he still makes a handful of plays and throws every game where I go, that was legit right there. Whoa. Like, that, I mean, that's first pick of the draft. So it's not going to be perfect. Yeah, he's not seeing the field perfectly all the time. And again, you you know that he he's fallen into the trap of, oh man, we're losing. I'm Trevor Lawrence. 
I got to take a chance and make a play. And he's done that a little bit in each game, just like we saw with the flea flicker, right? They kind of lost the lead or, or the game got close. And, you know, hey, this flea flicker, it was open all week in practice. I'm, I'm going to throw it. Here we go. We're going to get the momentum back. Oh, that's they, they get paid over there too. They covered it, pick six, and now you're in trouble. He, again, I think these are all positives. He belongs. He looks good physically. They got the right quarterback in Jacksonville. They just all got to get more polished and used to NFL football. Yeah, what did we expect? It was a roster right. that lost 15 games in a row to end last season. They had the number one overall pick for a reason. They stunk last year, and that's just the way the draft works. Don't get me started on that. I got started on that a little bit yesterday. Oh, no. Next topic, Mac Jones, poor downfield passing is holding back the Patriots, true or false? I'm going to say false there. Do I wish it was a little better? Sure. Like, is there one thing that jumps out to me about Mac Jones, you know, where I want to go, like, here's the negative to me? Yeah, when, when maybe the offense isn't going to deliver or somebody's, you know, not open, yeah, he's not going to make that jaw-dropping play to go, oh, the defense won, but, oh, he's still got a 20-yard gain with that laser arm or, you know, unbelievable move in the pocket to do that. No, I've seen more of that out of Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. You know, but Mac Jones, again, has really executed the offense for the most part. He makes a lot of good decisions and appropriate throws. He's not perfect. He's still getting used to the NFL. Their offense hasn't been the, as dominant in the run game as I would expect it or pass protect as well. And here's the last thing, too, Mike. I mean, again, there's another team. Nobody's going to back off the New England Patriots. Everybody's scared of their run game. So they're going to be at the line of scrimmage. And who's to be scared of that's going to beat you over the top there? And there's no game breaker. So because of that, he's going to see a lot of defenses like you see right here. Bump and run, people in your face. You know, hey, that should have been caught. He could have thrown a better ball too. That's one of those where like both coaches are going to go, wait, you could catch that and you should throw a better ball. But uh, I, I think that's a false narrative to say his lack of downfield passing is, is holding them back. No, it, that's a team thing. Week three against the Saints, he was one for 11, uh, 27 yards and an interception, throwing the ball 20 yards or more down the field. On the season, he has 6.1 yards per attempt on such throws, second worst in the league, ahead of only Jacoby Brissett. So but, work in progress right. for Mac Jones as well. Mike, They're all a work in progress. Exactly. And, but Mike, this stat line to me does say something. You know, again, yeah, it's, it's not – but. But the fact that New England has the confidence to drop back with the guy 51 times and do that, I, I think that says something too. So they think he's on the right track. They obviously trust him, you know, and he's going to get better and better. But, yeah, they're all a work in progress and don't have the ultimate support systems around them to, to make them look real great. Next one, the third overall pick in the draft, Trey Lance. After Sunday night, he has a stronger argument to start for the 49ers, true or false? Mm. I, I'm still going to say false there. I, I mean, you know, I know Jimmy G, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. It it wasn't, you know, and, and I don't know, Mike, I get the sense with the 49ers right now. And again, I, I don't know anything, right? I'm just going to say I get the sense that they're, they're trying to go all in with Jimmy Garoppolo. I know you and I talked about that. They're going to try to ride this out and play with him and even, you know, talk him up even when he doesn't play. I think, you know, that's the one thing I, Shanahan, I, I feel like it, after each of the last two games where I want to go, Jimmy was very average. He, Jimmy played great tonight. You know, I, I don't think they're going to let down on that because they want to get trade value for him when the season's over or whenever that time does come to make a trade. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think it's time for, for Trey Lance yet, even though, you know, Jimmy's been, to me, just 
average to this point? I think it's very simple in my view, and it first bubbled up a couple of weeks ago when Garoppolo talked about being shuttled in and out of the game. I think the locker room is still firmly behind Jimmy Garoppolo. Trey Lance hasn't done enough to break that bubble and get the players on his side. And you've got veterans there who had a taste of the Super Bowl less than two years ago, and they're going to revolt if we deliberately take a step back at quarterback all in the name of taking a step forward 2022-2023. I think that's why Garoppolo's playing, and I think they've accepted the fact, hey, you know what, the reason we fell out of love with the guy is he can't stay healthy. So let's go let him play, and if the self-fulfilling prophecy strikes again and he gets injured... At least we don't have Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard. Yeah. We got Trey Lance. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot of logic to what you said there. I do. I think that's, you know, comp- you know, combined with what I said to what you said, I think that's that would be my read on the, on the whole situation out there in San Francisco. Last rookie quarterback to mention, not one of the first rounders, but a guy who got a start technically before Justin Fields and definitely before Trey Lance. It was Davis Mills thursday night against the panthers he was the best rookie quarterback in week three true or false oh week three he, he might have been you know he, he, yeah i mean they really managed him early they didn't take any chances as the game went on you know he got better and better and got in a flow you know from the standpoint of managing the football game and playing it the right way yeah he played the clean he had the cleanest performance certainly uh, so uh, okay, I I can I can get behind that, but I don't think his talent is in the in the same stratosphere as Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, uh, or or even Mac Jones for that for that capacity. I don't, you know. Again, I, Davis Mills maybe he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think ultimately he's like a really really high end backup quarterback to low end starter. I hope he proves me wrong. Uh, but either way, he hung in there and gave them a chance to to maybe steal a game there until like mid-third quarter, late third quarter. Now, were you actually surprised by that question or was that just for effect? Because you know we have these things planned out in advance. Yeah, I was surprised by that question. No, exactly. I, do, you, I didn't look at this stuff. I don't, I, you know, I mean, I watch football and do this all day. I don't sit here and pay attention to every detail of our rundown. Practice. You want to go in fresh. <laughs> yeah, you I want to go, go in fresh. fresh. I already got my thoughts. You want to get Just, a real, organic, authentic exactly. response to Bam, any and all I'm not questions an actor. that may come up. That's right. Well, let me tell you, real, organic, and authentic responses are not what we will be getting from 345 Park Avenue as to the various officiating difficulties that emerged over the weekend, some of the big calls that went bad, and the very bad trend the NFL is developing, in my opinion, when it relates to transparency or lack thereof as to such bad calls. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. This was one of the craziest things I have ever seen in a football game. Rondell Moore back for the punt. (laughs) First drive of the game. Out comes the flag. Hits the ball. He muffs the punt. The good news is the Cardinals recovered. But look at that. Ball incoming. Here comes the flag. There it is. What would they do? What would they do if Jacksonville recovered this right here? Would they be like Jacksonville ball? Really? Jacksonville ball. So yes, they, no that, mulligans, man, no do-overs. That's unbelievable. Yep. That that's that is un, unreal. And the referees the, better be careful. First thing I thought, and we 
included that moment in superlatives yesterday. It was the Randy Johnson Award in honor of the time that he turned a bird into a puff of feathers with a fastball. As it turns out, Kyler Murray's uncle Calvin was the batter. Oh, that's amazing. That, that's amazing. On that pitch. So uh, that that was something. And you got it. Make sure that I don't know the referees like to throw the flag in the direction of the player. We saw how that went wrong with Orlando Brown all those years ago. But they, they want to, you know, they're taught to, to throw it in the direction of the foul. So they remember, like, they're going to forget, you know, like, hey, like, hey, I saw holding. I'm going to throw the flag right at the guy who was holding so I don't forget that it was him and that it was holding. But you got to be careful because uh, – and I wonder how many close calls there have been over the years, but that's the first one where it actually happened, which, of course, will prompt a major change to the way that they deal with these things now to prevent it from happening again. But that was no big deal. No harm, no foul. Like I said, the Cardinals recovered the ball, and they ultimately won the game easily. Other officiating issues – and let's focus on one that went largely undetected, Chris, because it wasn't a primetime game. I guarantee you if what happened at the end of Chargers-Chiefs happened on Sunday night, Monday night, or Thursday night. It's all we would have been talking about into the next day. Chargers lead by six. Chiefs have one last gasp. Patrick Mahomes running around, buying some time, throwing the ball to the end zone as he tends to do. Watch Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's a little stutter step off the line, but he gets down the field. Mahomes up in the pocket, and there it is. There's the ball to the end zone, and you've got not one, but two Chiefs who get wiped out by the Chargers. Travis Kelsey gets taken out. Tyreek Hill is bear-hugged and prevented from even making an opportunity to get his hands anywhere close to the ball. Look at Hill. How is that not pass interference, Chris? I, I, under what definition, under what circumstance? And I know they have a looser, even though the rule book yeah, doesn't say right, it, right. they have a looser definition of it on Hail Mary. How is that not pass interference? No, Mike, I can't, I can't defend that. Listen, I, I'm all for, like, hey, calling it a little looser on that play. Definitely. You know, I mean, listen, it's been like that ever since I've been a young kid growing up watching football, 100%. But, like, it was never this. It was never like, we're going to go down in the end zone and just bear hug Jerry Rice to where he can't catch the ball. I mean, no. Right, we're going to bear hug Randy Moss, and he's got no chance. That, that to me, is, yes, now we've crossed the line of the defense going, wait, they're never going to call a penalty in these situations. Never. So let's just do whatever we want. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it need, in this situation it needs to be called. The other thing I think that saves them is the fact that Mahomes didn't get it to the end zone. That, that I think, like, it makes it a well, little less egregious. But, but to your point, you're right. I can't You still would have had the ball right there. You're right. You still would have had matter. the ball right there. It doesn't matter. You're right. Right. No. It would have been first and goal from the spot of the foul, which yeah. is the one-yard line, which yeah. is what it would have been if it had happened in the end zone. And, and the way that it all kind of fell together, if Tyreek Hill would have had a chance to catch it, he could have pushed his way in. He could have. Yeah, sure. But they took him sure. out. And it and it worked. Hey, no harm, no foul. The Chargers did it, and they didn't get flagged. What's curious about it is that earlier in the quarter, we saw a fourth and nine play where it was a very questionable defensive pass interference called against the Chiefs yeah. that extended the game-winning drive. And we're still waiting for the replay to be aired by CBS right, right. of that moment. It just was very, very Gloss fishy. over it. And if you're a Chiefs fan, you got to be pissed off, sorry, Manchester, about what happened because you get called for what was a close, ticky-tack kind of pass interference that maybe wasn't, and then they don't call it when it clearly happens. Chris, if this had been last night's game yeah, right. when that had happened, right. we would be calling it Fail Mary 2. 
It's the defensive version of Golden Tate nine years ago shoving the Packers defensive back out of the way so he could catch the Hail Mary. It's no different. A deliberate instance of pass interference uncalled. And that one only ended an acrimonious work stoppage by the by the regular officials and finally got the commissioner to cry uncle, something he vowed that he wasn't going to do. The replacements are just as good. They're just as good. No, they're not. And the fail Mary was the most notorious evidence of it. I, I, they're so lucky that game wasn't played in prime time. And I'm sure they don't want us to be talking about it. Well, too bad. It happened. It should have been called. We need to be talking about it because the league isn't. That's my other point here. And I talked about this yesterday. I wrote about it at PFT. But I, I remember when Al Riveron was the head of officiating. One of the big criticisms about Riveron is he wasn't very good at communicating and explaining to the audience why things were done. It was always very perfunctory and conclusory, and he never got into details like a Mike Pereira or a Dean Blandino did. And Peter King used to say, hey, that's, this, that's really the most important job in the league office during the season. The commissioner is more of a figurehead except for discipline during the season. The head of officiating who talks to media, talks to fans, does videos that they put on social media, that's the conduit for explaining decisions made and not made by the officials. Well, now, you know what? They got nobody doing it. Riveron's gone. Walt Anderson's not doing it. There's no videos posted on the NFL officiating Twitter feed. They don't make anybody available to come on shows like this or podcasts or talk to reporters. It's all Blandino and Pereira. Well, they don't work for the league anymore. Terry McCauley, a former referee, is the one yeah. who who brought to our attention through his tweets the uncalled pass interference in Chargers Chiefs. There it is. There is no scenario where this is not a foul for defensive pass interference. That's Terry McCauley. My point is, Chris, they desperately need transparency. They need to pay the money, and I'll say it. Pay it to Dean Blandino. Bring back Blandino. Sure. Put him in charge of replay review, which is fine this year. It's working fine. No, no criticisms there yet. But the NFL desperately needs transparency. It needs to be able to explain why things are done, why they're not done. They need to be able to admit when they make mistakes, not go bury their head in the sand, because this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. When there isn't that transparency and accountability, people think the games are rigged. And that is not what the NFL needs in an age of booming, mushrooming, widespread, legalized gambling The last thing the NFL needs is the tinfoil hat crowd getting credence to the idea that the games are rigged. They're not. But this is the kind of stuff that makes people think they are. Yeah, no, it it is. And it it will, like you're right, if it's in a bigger moment or, you know, it's a playoff game or a Monday night, Sunday night football game where everybody's tuned in. Yeah. Hey, listen. You know, it's like back to the days of thunder, right? The old movie with Tom Cruise, like, you know, rubbing his racing, right? Okay. Yeah, you're going to have some little extra contact in a Hail Mary. The ball's being thrown up into a scrum. But we didn't say you can assault a guy and just be like, <laughs> I mean, that that to me is where, come on, there's got to be, there's got to be some line here like to where, okay. Wrapping your arms around the receiver. Not and even looking at the ball. To, to even get his hands anywhere right, near. Right, right. He's like reaching through and around the guy to even have an opportunity to get his hands on it. No, and Chris, 
It's no less blatant than Saints-Rams 2018. Yeah, it just didn't you. happen in a conference championship game. Well, if I'm a team that's throwing a Hail Mary now, okay, this is what I'm going to do this week. Or if I'm Kansas City and I'm in that situation, I'm going to send two receivers in front of Kelsey and, and, and Tyree Kill and, and have them block. Like, hey, just get down there and push guys out of the way. Just push them, run them over, knock them down, and let's just see. I mean, what's the point? If they're going to let the defense do that, then you got to let the offense have their way too. And you know, and again, but they, don't you think? Don't you think that a memo is already being sent to all the officials I hope so. and the game referees I about hope so. you know? I, I don't think that that this is some new reality. I think they just blew it, and it gets back to the fact there's no mechanism in place to review this either by replay review because that was a disaster because the standard kept moving every week. It really was magic eight ball time to know what our river on was going to do when it came to any of the replay review for pass interference calls and non-calls. And they still won't do sky judge. This is another example of why you need someone in the booth who is officiating the game with the benefit of what we saw on TV. And what did we see? We saw Tyree kill getting mugged we saw Travis Kelsey getting thrown to the ground and that's where the sky judge and hey this is high stakes poker but the sky judge the booth umpire whatever title we want to give to that person needs to get in the ear of the referee and say drop a flag and I understand there's confusion about the limits of that person's power we can worry about the margins later for a situation like that when you don't have a safeguard in place you deserve all the criticism you get. Yeah. No, and they I should get criticized. And they're lucky it's not worse. They're lucky it wasn't a night game. They're, and I'm, I'm still stunned that there isn't more of a groundswell from Chiefs fans because they got screwed. And I, I, I don't want to take anything away from what the Chargers did. This isn't an anti-Chargers thing. This is a pro get the calls right and avoid situations where the game is decided by anything other than what the players do or don't do on the field. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and and you know, hopefully this will at least be a, a jump off point to correct the issue, to where it doesn't affect a big game in December or January and become a disaster, and then people do lose trust in the officiating again, thinking the games are you know, uh, yeah, fixed in some way. So, uh, yeah, I, I I hope so, but that that to hey, me is let me say one more thing. Egregious. Let me say one more thing. Yeah. Pete's telling me you got a break, but Pete, I'm going to overrule you on this one. Because now he's backing off. But Pete, you're too easy. You got to give me a little fight here. I want to have a little fight. I'm trying to engage you here in real time on the air so we can have a little scrum. We can even put your mic on and we can hash it out. But Pete's very compliant. And meanwhile, I'm taking all the time going down that rabbit hole. Devontae Adams, the concussion protocol. This is another example of why it's important to have full transparency. They issued a statement yesterday to one of their employees. Okay, no one else is going to call it what it is. I'm going to call it what it is. The NFL, when it has word to get out, what does it do? It issues a statement exclusively to one of the reporters that gets a paycheck signed by Roger Goodell. In this case, it was Tom Pellicero. They issue the, the statement to him, and they give him extra information that he reports based on sources. Well, who are the sources? They're people in the league office. Any, as with any play that leads to a medical evaluation, we followed up. I'm not even going to read it. It's gobbledygook. It's all the stuff that you expect. I want somebody on NFL Network or somebody who comes on this show or comes on some other show to explain in lay terms, real time, why Devontae Adams was back in the game so quickly. 
That statement is worthless to me. Whatever else they leak to their employee is worthless to me. I want someone to explain it because I saw Devontae Adams glassy-eyed on the ground. And if you're serious about protecting guys from that worst-case scenario of getting a second concussion while you still have your first concussion and maybe dying on the field, then we need something more than a statement that you issue to one of your employees. We need people to explain to us why it is so we understand it. Maybe it was right, Chris. Maybe it was. Yeah, right. But you're either going to try to protect these guys or you're not. And there are failures, and when there are failures, they try to talk and talk and talk until we stop asking questions. That's not good enough. No, no, I I hear you there. It's not good enough. You would like the answers there. You know, again, it's one I'm less picky about because, like, I want to go, hey, Devontae Adams is a grown man. If he feels like he can go back out and play football, then play. I I know. know. No, no. Mike, your point's real, Players got to be protected from themselves. You're right. I get that. To me, there's another aspect of this. The, the, The other aspect to me is way worse. How the hell is a penalty not called on Jimmy Ward? I mean, that would literally be put on a reel they showed to teams in training camp of what not to do. Launching at a head, hitting with the crown of your helmet. I mean, you couldn't be any more blatant than that right there. But again, a big moment in the game and the referees are going to ref differently. It's one of my issues with refereeing in the NFL. Big moments, big games, playoffs. All of a sudden, there's a standard of refereeing that changes. And that I don't understand. But that was like textbook, like headhunting. We don't want this. And you talk about player safety and doing that. This is one of the worst, most egregious hits in all of football this weekend. Nothing happened. Oh, it's a big moment. We'll just let it go. No problem. Okay. Hey, do it again, Jimmy. I mean, that to me was some BS and that 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 was that would bothered me I understand your concussion thing and I was shocked too he was right out there but that bothered me more than anything watching the game too for anybody who watched the show yesterday like I did because I was involved in it you're probably thinking what a difference a day makes and I'm smiling not because I disagree with you I agree with you but Mike Golick yesterday made an almost equally impassioned argument against a flag in that setting and at at the end of the discussion, I think he came around to the idea that there was still contact between helmet and chin, and that's exactly what the NFL is throwing flags for, regardless of your intent, regardless of what you're trying to do. And if you look at it closely, it looks like Ward with the, turning, the, turning the, the shoulder, right? So he didn't go in hot helmet first like Chuck Cecil used to back in the day. But, but still, you got the helmet, hit the chin, that draws a flag 100 out of 100 times. Now, well, I can't say 100 out of 100 because it didn't there. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and it's, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, again, I, I don't know. I watch this in slow motion here, just live. And I, I mean, helmet to chin, helm, crown of the helmet, helmet to chin, top of the yep. helmet. Dangerous for Jimmy Ward. That's how you get paralyzed or have spinal injuries. Extremely dam- dangerous for Devonte Adams. He didn't have to go in like that. He did not. He led with the head. He turned just a little bit to make sure he could get that head right on Devontae Adams' head, in my opinion. That's what I would say. He's turning to make sure, wait, I was aiming for here, and I'm going to get it, so now let me get that head exactly where I thought I was aiming. And that, to me, is that I can't stand for with the NFL. That's not cool. So so what we need, what we need, what they need is a Dean Blandino, a Mike Pereira, somebody who can explain and, and admit, they need to admit that they missed it. Issue a, at a minimum, 
When you make a mistake, issue a statement that you made a mistake. But see, they don't want anybody talking about it. They want us to forget. They want us to say nothing to see here. All is well. Move on. Talk about the future. Don't talk about the past. That's baloney. Because these bad calls, if the fans don't have some understanding, some closure, some accountability, again, that's when they think that the games are rigged. And in this environment, with all the money they're going to make from gambling, they have every incentive to have somebody who and, and it, look, this takes a lot of skill. That's why I say Blandino or Pereira. They're the only two who have been able to pull it off in my lifetime. They they need one of those guys back, and they need to pay them whatever they want. Yeah, because it's a critical function moving forward for the NFL. Silence is not an option. Statements issued to your employees that's not an option. And now we have to go to break, and we will go to break. Uh, When we return, a deeper look at what the Rams did to dismantle the Buccaneers on Sunday. That's next here on Pro Football Talk Live. 